Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and this is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Your home for engaging conversations about the topics that matter most in our culture. If you love nuance, if you want to better understand different points of view, if you're tired of the screamers taking all the oxygen out of the room, if you'll enjoy edifying, provocative, and fun conversations among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me, you love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. So glad to have a place to talk politics and culture and important stuff without a bunch of screamers. And that way we get to have some nuance in our conversations, do some deep dives, and we don't mind having some fun either. And if you like the show, tell a friend. Listeners recommending our program to their friends and family who might like it is definitely the number one way word gets out about what we're doing here. I am Corey Nathan, and I'm honored to be your host, and I am even more honored to be joined by my friend, Selena Thomas. Selena is a small business owner whose company was particularly critical over the last year and a half to many other small businesses. She runs Six Degrees HR Consulting, which is an outside human resources firm. And as you might imagine, that kind of support is much needed in normal times. But over the last couple of years, Six Degrees HR Consulting has been especially critical to help clients navigate the many challenges we faced. Selena is also a candidate for our region city council. And as such is the first woman of color to be a candidate for city council in this area. She is the proud mom of three amazing young women. And also I'm fortunate to say Selena has been an invaluable consultant to me as a business person. And even more importantly, she's my friend, <laughs> Selena Thomas. Absolutely. How are you doing? Nice, so to, see nice you. to see you. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, like you said, I've known you for so long and, and have had your support and endorsing me in not just my candidacy, but in, in the business world that, uh, you know, when I started, you were, you were, you know, one of the first clients to say, Hey, I need your help. And then you spread the word. So six degrees expanded because of, of things like that. And so I appreciate you. And here we are. Here we are. Politician now. <laughs> yeah. Right. The, how yeah. things evolve. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so cool to see your own evolution and, you know, small business owners rooting for each other and helping each other out. Oh, You've certainly been an absolute superhero to us. But I, I wanted to start with a little bit of your background. I, this was so much fun because there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know about you that was really enlightening and inspiring. Oh, I wanted to start you. with your dad. He seems to have had a yeah. fascinating life story from being in the Air Force to being an air traffic controller to going into education yeah. and becoming a superintendent. Can you tell us about Dr. Thomas and his influence on your life? So huge. And it's so funny, ironic that you say that. So people that do kind of watch my videos every day or watch my show, he's all around me and and he has since passed. But this is one of my favorite pictures behind me. So I always keep that, not just in the front, but in, in my mind and my heart, because he is really why the reason I am evolving the way that I am, because that was part of how he taught me to live life. And so he lived life, as you just described, wearing many different hats. He was in the Air Force. He went from high school, Sarah High School in Gardena, which was an all-boys school, enlisted into the Air Force and was by 19 in the Manila, Philippines, 
which is where he met and married my mother. And so people later figure that out and they go, oh, no wonder you look so funny. So they find out that my parents met and married there. And my father, even wise at a young age, knew he only had one shot to talk to her. And he saw her in a GI bar and said, you know what? They don't look like that in Compton and I'm going to shoot my shot. So he <laughs> rode the bus <laughs> for six months to learn how to speak Tagalog because he only had one chance to speak to her uh, because he saw other GIs get turned away and he's like, okay, she's clearly not understanding what they're saying. So he's always observant in the world. Even if he wasn't in a culture that he was familiar with, he was wise enough to be observant. And so I learned that from him. And so his first comment to her was, which is how you're beautiful and how are you? And so nine months later, <laughs> they were married and that was how I started. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, he was always wise and told me those stories so that I could really understand life's journey and, and be open and, and not be afraid of barriers whether it was language, culture, people, experiences, you needed to dive in and you find a way and whatever you're best suited for, you continue to amplify and grow that. And that's, that's what I've done. And he always talked about living multiple lives in the sense that you'll evolve. And by the time you've you lived a really good life, you've evolved three and four times, you've reinvented yourself. And so I never had any fear from going to you know, married to divorce, to single mom, to business owner, to, you know, now someone, a candidate for public office, because it was always about evolving. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up so many good points, but one, while, while we're talking about your background, you've described yourself as biracial. I actually just learned something new. I didn't realize that you spoke any Filipino. <laughs> Tagalog. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, specifically, I, I wanted to, you, you often bring up your heritage, your ethnicity in the context of being able to relate to all kinds of people with all kinds of backgrounds and families. Have you always had that sort of constructive way of thinking about race and ethnicity or was there ever time that, that you struggled with your heritage? So it was, again, back to Dr. Thomas, just making sure that I had self-awareness. <laughs> I love how you talk, call him Dr. Thomas, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And that was, you know, obviously, you know, it was with great affection and respect at the same time. I remember he said often, you know, if you die with credentials, people know that you've, you've, you've left your mark. So my grandfather wasn't the only PhD in my family. My grandmother, his mother was a PhD. And so that was important for him, for us to, to see that. And so in our family, you had to bring your degree, your certificate, whatever you earned to get into your field, you brought it and you put it on the wall. And so by the time my grandmother passed and my father passed, uh, for our family, it was floor to ceiling and a cross because it, was, it became the family culture to become educated and, and well-versed in whatever you were trying to do. So there's no you know, one specific industry that everyone needed to go in. Not everyone had to be a doctor. Not everyone had to be an educator, but everyone had to do something. Mm. And whatever it was, you needed to do your best. And whatever that looked like, you bring that certificate and you and you uphold it because there's not many people that can speak to that and, and immerse themselves in that enough to realize that you are, you know, really the maker of your own destiny. And so that was really the antithesis of that as well. But yeah, I, I relate to people because I... I often moved 
being a military child. And so you had to adapt and, and some military kids have a different experience where like, Oh, gotta move again. Where my dad created an energy about it, that it was excitement. Like there's another opportunity to meet another, you know, region of the country or another type of person. So I always embrace that, which is why I can embrace people so easily as an adult. Yeah. Yeah, that adaptability certainly goes a long way, being able to relate to any number of different folks, which which actually serves you really well with Six Degrees. I, I definitely want to ask you a little bit about that. First, as a small business owner, <laughs> I already alluded to that, the fact that it was an absolute, it has been and continues to be an absolute godsend for for me as a small business person, for those who aren't familiar with the plight of truly small businesses, we're faced with any number of the challenges that large businesses face from regulation to reporting to dealing with challenging employee situations. The, the difference though, as a small business is you don't have the resources to deal with a lot of these problems as they come up. And since you're already wearing any number of hats, marketing and, and hiring and technician and you're also expected to be a full-time HR expert, which I definitely was not. So enter Six Degrees HR Consulting and Selena with the big S for, for superhero on your chest. <laughs> Can you tell us, you, you went from social work to being a small business owner and specifically this particular niche. Can you tell us, oh, and, and I loved your, your formation story as a small business owner, starting with the, the office at a local Starbucks being your first yeah. office. True story. Yeah. Yeah. What was it that prompted you to start Six Degrees uh, HR Consulting? So I was a social worker for about eight years in Kern County before I moved from Bakersfield to Santa Clarita. And it was during a period of time where I was I was I was having and starting my family. And I, I was in the field at this point for six years and I had come across a really traumatizing removal of a, of a child from a, a, a bad circumstance. And I found myself not being able to be objective anymore because I was actually pregnant at the time with my second daughter. And I could no longer be objective towards the birth mother, mother who at that point needed my services. But I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where I can't look past what she's just exposed her child to. And that's when I knew I needed to leave and serve in a different way, leave that industry. Still wanted to help serve people, but not in that capacity because I wasn't able to, to separate myself. And so I went to my supervisor and I said, I cannot do this. I'm, I'm about to have this second baby and I, I, I've lost my objectivity. I was really being honest. And he said, well, before you leave the agency, we'd love to see if we can uh, have you in a different capacity with our agency you've been a supervisor, we'd love to help evolve you into maybe a supervisory HR role. And I was like, HR, hmm. Mm. And he's like, in support of our staffing and still some of the skill sets can transfer to this, but we do need that. We'll pay for your master's if you give us two years of service. And I was like, okay, this is starting to sound a little better Um, because he didn't want to lose me uh, as a, an employee, but he also knew that I, I kind of plateaued at, at that area. And so that's what I did and subsequently did the two years. And right at the end of that two years, I was studying for my license and simultaneously, you know, life happened. I was going through a divorce now at that point with three kids in tow. Oh, man. And so, yes. And so I had to 
see that as part of the whole bigger picture, right? And uh, knew that I was going to move close enough yet far enough away to raise my girls. And so I became, I went into uh, HR as a specialty, got my um, PHR, and it's your your specialty to be able to open a practice and serve small businesses like you. And so that evolution happened with life as it, issues as well, but it was all at the same time. And so I came here and I started my practice truly right out of a Starbucks on <laughs> Copper Hill and Seiko. There you go. <laughs> and I was so glad that I did that. I started literally consulting people that had just started their businesses. So none of us had a home. We're all like meeting at the Starbucks to try to figure this out. And infrastructure was essential if you're renew. So I was, I really started from that place. And then it grew rapidly because the premise of six degrees, right, is that we're all connected. And so that connection, especially in this community is one to two degrees. And it happened really quickly, like within the first year uh, and a half, I could move to a building which is where I'm at now. I've been there for seven years, but I started in like a closet. Like it literally was like, this is the smallest we have. It has no windows and you can be here from, you know, eight to two. (laughs) Then someone else, a tax preparer comes behind you and and you take all your stuff and you leave. But I had in my mind, like, wow, I can get an office. I can. And so from that office, I literally started to evolve around the building. And now I'm actually in the front with a window with uh, not, not today, but with the roller coasters behind me. So I'm on the corner of magic mountain and turning. Nice. And so that tells you, you know, and so, you know, not knowing we couldn't have known, right. COVID was coming, right. Yeah. Six years, seven years later, but not knowing that that foundation of building my practice, building and lear- learning as a practitioner, how to serve small businesses as an outsourced specialist, that that would serve me also because those that had not accepted my services when I was grinding suddenly were like, I remember the HR lady, she knocked on my door. She, she networked at VIA. I remember her chamber events. And I just heard from another client that's, that's who they used. I need help with getting reopened with the PPP with unemployment. And at that point we're all shuttered. So they had a list of who's essential you know, I looked down it and, and I'm not on it, but I didn't choose to stop there. I made myself essential. So I did videos every day when we had to get shuttered. And I was like, this is the status on PPP. This is the status on unemployment. Here's phase one, phase two of getting back to work. So that evolution of the crisis became part of my evolution. So each time it seems like there's some crisis, I went towards it as an opportunity for me to continue to grow versus like waiting on someone to kind of guide me on what I should do. And that really is no different than what I did when things changed with my first husband and, and I had to move out of social service. I saw this, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. It's uh it's such a valuable service for, for small businesses. I, we definitely, like, like I said, have benefited from it because any number of issues come up and you talked about how you, ran toward the fire in a way with COVID. Another uh, big challenge for us as a country, as a culture is after, well, it happened, it's been happening in the history of our country, but when George Floyd was killed, it was a spark that a lot of folks awakened to it or awakened to it again 
Have you got involved in diversity, equity, inclusion training as a small business advisor? Absolutely. And actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because this is besides sexual harassment, one of the largest topics that people come and ask me to train on and develop for their companies. To your point, there was an awakening that people started to have and business owners had it as business owners for what they needed to do internally to improve the company culture, not just align with the the current kind of like buzz phrase, but to really shift what's happening within their workspace and for their employees in terms of that. So I've developed for many companies, uh, Scorpion is one of them locally, Albright Painting, staple um, companies in our community, but it all applies, right? HR applies to every environment and so does diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Some people call it various things, but but the, the point is, is that is, is as important it is to have sexual harassment, hostile work environment training, I see and predict as a practitioner that's engaged in, in working at the highest level with attorneys, with people in Sacramento, I, I see this evolving into a subject matter that will also be mandatory, just like sexual harassment, because of the, the fact is that most people spend most of their day at work, right? In yeah. some capacity, they are engaged with their employer. They're engaged with peers and counterparts that they have to start to gain an acceptance and an awareness of. And it mitigates, just like sexual harassment and hostile work it diffuses and mitigates a lot of the issues that happen with people in the workplace. And so if we think of it in that context, separate from the benefits, right, of just having an awareness and really applying a new mindset in the workplace, we shouldn't even have to wait until it becomes mandated. I, I recommend it as a best practice. I recommend it and you'll see and have seen lately, Fortune 500 companies will not uh, allow you to submit a proposal as a vendor or uh, someone with a specialty unless you have that within your company. So I've had companies call me out of necessity to say, hey, we're bidding on Microsoft and they're saying, we have to have this certificate and you know we're going to miss out on this opportunity. So separate from any mandate, you have companies, large companies that prescribe to this as their company culture, and they won't even use someone that doesn't. So thinking about that shift, and of course it applies to me as an individual. I, I've had to, in many spaces, educate my daughters who are often the only ones that look like them in, in on their travel teams or in school. And so they're having to understand and have an awareness as well of who they are first so that anyone they're around can can understand them. And so I teach it internally in my own house. So I want to share something personal and then ask you something personal. When events such as the mass shooting at a synagogue in the Pittsburgh area happen or the march in Charlottesville in, I think it was 20, the summer of 2017, when hordes of people are shouting, the Jews will not replace us. As a person who came from an Orthodox, from an observant Jewish family, that hits me in a, in a personal way. It, it grieves me. And, and, you know, and, and my, my parents' generation, it hits even more because 
they heard the stories and my grandparents' generation lived through the, the tragic, the tragedies of their neighbors dying and our family members dying, whether it was in, in, in Germany in World War II or before that, my own family in the pogroms of, of Russia. So when events like that happen, it hits a very personal chord. And, and, you know, after George Floyd was killed, I have good friends, people of color who, as they were gracious enough and brave enough to share what they were experiencing at that time, it it sounded, I I didn't, I, I, I wasn't experiencing it myself, but I, I empathized because I heard that same that same song in a way, that same mournful song. Mm-hmm. How did you experience that moment, that season? And especially I'm curious, and if you don't want to share about your daughters, but That's like true. as the mom of three daughters through mm-hmm. three merging women of color, like how, how did you deal with that, that moment and the season going forward? Yes. And I'm thankful that you shared that story because it, we can relate and something resonates with us differently when certain things happen. Like for me, certainly with the Saga shooting, which was in very close proximity to what happened. And right after that, we had to shutter. So we had to do a lot of things while shuttered and some really heavy things. And as you mentioned before, it's always about going towards it. So I've, I, as a mother had conversations that, my daughters were having with their friends and there was a lot of chatter uh, amongst kids during that time that, that really affected them. And so one thing I had to do was kind of filter some things out for them so that they were not taking on, there was a lot going on. Remember the politics were at its height and this was going on. And then they're still recovering from the saga shooting, which Gracie was one of Mia's friends. So there was, it was a heavy, heavy time. I think the benefit of being in, internal and having to stay internal was that I could control the narrative, allow them to leave out what was anything that we could change, right? Other people's mindsets, we can't control that, only ours. And so I also often talk to my dad in a way that he reminded me, I'll always be there. So I always had to think, what would my dad say? What would Dr. Thomas say in this moment, right? And he reminded me often that ignorance and things like what we saw with George Floyd and the protests that came from that is a teachable moment. So you have to use this to teach right now. So that was the first thing I heard. The second thing I heard was that as much as things have changed, they have not. And I had to be honest about that. That history that you spoke to with your family lineage is painful. And it can, the, the, the wound can be pulled off at any time with any videotape, with any soundbite that we all now with social media and the way technology is can have in front of us within 30 seconds. So for me, I had to explain to them and their perspective as young women, black in America is different than a black young man in America. But at that time, they're still learning how to drive and I had to go, hey, if you get pulled over, cooperate. Your hands are out. There is no back and forth. I still had to teach that to my daughters. I had to remind them you're in Santa Clarita and not to say that there was a prevalence of incidents, 
But we had a bus stop incident during that same time, if you remember, in Canyon Country, where the, the, the young African-American boys at the bus stop were the victims, but were the ones that were treated, you know, as if they were the criminals until the dust settled. But I had to remind them of that incident that that for the grace of God, there goes you. Mm-hmm. So that you're not exempt as young women. And the way that you communicate, the way that you carry yourself can make you subject to something. So always be mindful of that. And have those real you know, moments where you're paying attention to your surroundings. Who are you getting in the car with? Who are you talking to at the mall? What, what perceptions are you giving off? I have to say this to my daughters because... One, they're very tall, right? They're going to stand out in a crowd, especially here. And I'm very visible. So sometimes people know who they are already. So they can make them a target to people with bad intentions. So I had to have a lot of conversations. It's painful to know that that this could happen. To hear the tape, it took me, I could only watch it for 20 seconds. And to know that it went on yeah. as long as it did was gut-wrenching. And so... It, it was a lot. And, and full disclosure, to share just a little bit, my girl's father, they're, they're, my ex-husband, is a journalist in Bakersfield. Four years ago, five years ago now, he was arrested wrongfully for filming an arrest. Wow. He's a journalist on site. He had observed and, and videotaped police brutality. The police saw him do this and they wanted his tape. He protected as a journalist, refused. They arrested him. So my kids went through seeing their father wrongfully arrested as a professional journalist for 20 years. What did that say to them? That even what we've done as parents, right? We're both professionals. He's been a professional for over 30 years in that industry. And it could still happen to you. You don't have to be somebody that gave a counterfeit 20 at the liquor store, you could be a professional journalist. Now, fast forward, there was immediate action. It was covered heavily by, uh, on a national level, covered an immediate foot response from the NAACP there. All charges were dropped. I mean, it was a big deal. But my kids were immersed in that as the daughters of a black man that was wrongfully arrested, a professional journalist for 30 years. Yeah. So this this doesn't even have to leave our circle right. to be impactful. Well, to your point, we I do want to talk a lot about the campaign, your decision to run. But there was something I, I no, noticed in a response to your campaign announcement on our regional radio station ha- also has a very prominent website, gets a lot of traffic. I want to read a comment that sadly, in my experience, is not unique yeah. on the pages of KHTS's uh, site or uh, the signals comment sections. That, that's my comment, by the way. That's my. Uh, that's not sure. you saying it. That's I'm speaking for myself. Mm-hmm. This commenter goes by the name of Rufus Williams. He, I don't know if that's his name or not, but he put it there, so I'll share it. He says it says here she is a registered independent. I would bet she leans to the left, considering 90% of African Americans in the U.S. vote Democrat. All California Democrat politicians follow the marching orders of Pelosi and Newsom. If you open your eyes, find one Democrat run city that is thriving. You can't. They are the highest crime, highest tax, pro drugs, pro open border and much more. Perhaps she would agree to an interview with Larry Elder or Candace Owens to see how she would govern Santa Clarita. 
he goes on as if that wasn't uh, his opinions weren't clear enough. Question, does Salina Thomas, not Selena, Salina Thomas support Kamala Harris? I would bet on it. Now, I bring that comment up not to underscore the comment because it's it's not something that I would celebrate or, or want to promote. I bring it up because do you remember how you responded to the comment? Yeah, I remember speaking about Larry Elder because I related to his story about his father. I had respect for his journey. I don't necessarily have respect for his politics, yeah. but I had respect for his journey. And I understood where some of that was coming from. So I sifted through that and wanted to just explain that I can be someone that doesn't agree with your politics, but can respect your story and respect his evolution as an individual. I found some of his comments to be misogynistic and obviously didn't align with my politics. But that's the beauty of being someone that is uniquely me. I, I'm running for a seat that's it's a nonpartisan seat in a nonpartisan race. I've been an independent since I announced my candidacy, because if you submit your paperwork and you put a preference, a party preference, they'll send it back to you. Oh. So at this, yes, true story. So at this capacity, you have to work in a bipartisan way and you can't even present your party preference, even though. People have asked me what I've uh, leaned towards in my previous voting record. You might have researched that I was an intern for Nate Holden and sent to Washington, D.C. under the Clinton administration. And I voted as a Democrat my entire voting history until I changed my voting status. But again, having the opportunity to have people have an alternative kind of perspective than me is fine. Because, again, I embrace people I had done so all of my life. I could speak to respecting Larry Elder's journey because if, yeah. if you watched it, he had to develop a respect for his father who was exemplary in what he was attempting to do, but Larry didn't get it until way later. I, I gained a real awareness about who my dad was and what he had done much earlier than Larry Elder did for his father. But I, I respected, having read his story, that he finally got it and gave him the respect that he deserved. The rest, for me, is the difference between him and I. I'm, you know, not. I didn't vote for Larry Elder, and I don't prescribe to his politics. But at the end of the day, we can all agree to disagree. Fair enough. Same with Rufus. I applaud you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I applaud you for how you responded because it definitely, like, e- even just knowing you as a person and as a friend, it triggered me. I was like, "Who are you? Who do you think you are?" Like, and do you realize how, like? how brazenly prejudiced you're being right now. Like, and obvious, you know, and I like, I don't, I don't know if it's some, if it's a blind spot, like he doesn't even realize what he's saying. Like you just saw a picture of someone and you clearly didn't read the article because there were clear position. And yet, despite all of that, what I would call hatefulness, I'll read the comment for the bench since I brought it up. I'll read your your, your reply. Hi, Rufus. (laughs) Yeah. I happen to respect Larry Elder, his story and journey. Even if one has opposing political views, respect is the foundation of my values, which you, by the way, you you model every day, every time I, I see you and every time I talk to you. Larry Elder and I actually have very similar values regarding hard work, no excuses or pity parties. 
I, like him, was raised by an incredibly hardworking father, which is reflected in my results in business and life. I would love to chat about my vision for Santa Clarita. To your other comment, I support anyone in leadership because, because I respect democ our democracy. Looking forward to you getting to know me. Now, yeah. so I love it. I, that's such a beautifully, <laughs> gosh, it's like the 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 winsomeness and and the 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 love and the the wisdom and the restraint that's that's displayed in that reply so here's here's a question about that do you think sure. you can persuade someone like rufus or is there another objective in your decision to respond and specifically how you responded sure and so i never think that i'm going to change someone's mind that has has come out of the gate you know deciding what he knew, what he thought he knew about me. It's a teachable moment for him to, to have maybe a different perspective of who I am. Do I think Rufus is gonna go vote for me? <laughs> no, but it, it did send a larger message to other people that might pay attention to Rufus or might've been struck by his comment or might have been driven towards making that same assumption about me. So really the response is less about Rufus and more about the opportunity to have outreach yeah. to have people see that i don't have to kind of meet people in the gutter like that at all and that would give you just like it gave you a perspective of who i am when some someone comes towards me with that that i don't even need to entertain it in the sense of you know a clap back but yeah. more of here's who i am well, I, I not to belabor this point, but I think it's a really, really important one. I mentioned the Signal, our regional newspaper, and in their announcement, there there was all a similar comment, some angry reaction to your announcement happening to have come on Juneteenth, which I thought was symbolic and important. Mm -hmm. But he, it was sort of reactionary and wasn't. He didn't really read enough or stop to think about what you actually said. It was only like as if Juneteenth was a trigger word for him. Also, strangely, like criticize people who work hard. Like I didn't get like, how is that a bad thing worth criticizing? And said, if they can't afford to live in Santa Clarita, they should get out. The, <laughs> the cherry on top was his labeling you as another clueless leftist, which, by the way, like, you know, if you lean left, like, I don't see how that's a derogatory thing or worth attacking. But all of this is uh Actually, you know, what resonated for me, I happened to have read some comments from Joe Messina just before that. And again, you're not saying this, I am, but it sounds a heck of a lot like the same language that Joe Messina is using on a daily basis. So the question has more to do, you, you know, the, I guess the question does have to do with prejudice. Like we said, this some of this isn't even veiled. It's, it's, it's rather brazen. How do you deal with with brazen prejudice and attacks? Do you deal with it head on? Do you let it go? Are you always able to face it in love like you did in the, the with reply with Rufus? <laughs> or does it does it just get to be too much and make you wanna be more confrontational, uh, expose it for what it is every once in a while? It certainly depends on the platform and the, the, the moment in which it happens. If it's face-to-face, -face, I've had situations where you know people Initially, when I started running, stole my signs, cut them down around town. Oh, I'd man. have people call me and go, hey, are you still running? Because your sign on such and yeah. such is gone. I'm like, uh, yes, I am. And come to find out they were they were taken down and they ended up somehow at the Republican headquarters. And I had to have, engage a detective to assist me in getting them back. And from me sharing it in a way that was hey, I just want to have an opportunity. 
I had more people embrace me in an outwardly obvious situation and not accusing anyone of anything, but this is ultimately what happened. It's there, it's in the records. That at the end of the day, even even people that don't prescribe to my politics were not okay with that. Yeah. And so embracing it in a way where I still showed class integrity, just wanting a fair opportunity. Um, I often tell my girls, and I don't know if this has helped them excel and excel in a way that they are, but for us, for me specifically, a woman of color, my dad taught me this. I had to be exceptional just to level the playing field, just to level it. So if you think about you have to live and exist in that way as an African-American just to get a fair opportunity, which is why I was driven to to put the appeal out that whoever has my signs, please, because at that point, the city could have seen who it was because of the street cameras. Within 30 minutes of that announcement on Facebook, we get a call. Oh, by the way, we have them. They're here. Oh, that's nice. And so, yeah, it was nice, but I think it was essential because, you know, it would have been found out. And so they, they had to see me in a different light. And I think coming back at situations as heavy as someone came, that would have just not given people a real perspective of who I am. That reminds me of the scene, the, the moment in Les Mis when the, the father, the priest, what's his name? Jean Valjean is, is leaving in a, in a rush in the early morning mm-hmm. and he steals all of the silver and the candle, you know, the candelabra and all that. And he's caught and he's brought back to the priest's house. And, and the priest reacts in a very different way, basically saying, I'm mad at you for not taking these, <laughs> you know, like he's yeah, giving him right. a way out of it. You know, he's, he's, he's forgiven him exactly. in advance. Yes. And not only that, he's, he's giving Jean Valjean a, an opportunity to do the right thing, even though it can be compelled yes. upon him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? It just tells you who he is. Yeah. And I think my responses have always told people who I am. That's great. And uh, I would still continue to be that way. And and I obviously have to model that for my girls because we get one shot. We one mistake and we're not forgiven. Yeah. Right? And and, and we're talking culturally this is our society right now. Mm-hmm. So we can't afford to make a mistake. And so if I made a mistake in my response, if it was out of my character, I've had people come to me and say, "I'd like to write for you. I'd like to da, 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 for your campaign." But it wouldn't be who I am. You have people that come forward and want to be a crisis manager or someone that controls the narrative, if you will. And so then now I'm no longer existing and I'm kind of a puppet. Yeah. And so I'm never afraid of responding in kind in the way that I would respond, even if I wasn't a politician. I respond in the way that I would as an individual, as a businesswoman, as a mother, and whatever context that we're communicating in you're going to get the same integrity. And so it's no different as a candidate. So with all of your accomplishments as a mom, as a business owner, all you've done for other businesses, mine included, why run for city council? Well, so in, in the short of it, when I stepped forward, we were at the height of COVID. And many small businesses that I had served said, we need a voice in city council for this business recovery. We need someone with the acuity um, that you have in terms of what you've already set forth in your COVID response. Yeah. And we also need someone to kind of represent that on a larger scale. So it wasn't even about being an African-American candidate or the first African-American. one. It was about 
being a business voice, I'm a, I remember I've had a few reporters ask me, you know, you're the black candidate. I'm like, no, I'm a qualified candidate that just happens to be African-American. Yeah. Amen. And so I ran for initially for the COVID response and the issues related to that. But as we spoke to so many layers came out at that time, right? Diversity, inclusion, what we're having in terms of this kind of cultural shift and people accepting and being uh, more aware of what that impacts, you know, the next generation. And then of course I have three daughters and if I'm asking them to step forward and, and lend themselves of service in any situation that they have an opportunity to do so, I, I have to do the same thing. Case in point, my daughter Morgan's a sophomore at Saugus right now. She started the first Black Student Union at Saugus this year. Wow. As, as, a, as a way to step forward and help people within her school have a better understanding of the community that she comes from and an awareness of, of what that means to be in the great minority in, in, in her school. And, and there are several people that are not of color in this, in this BSU chapter. And so I'm really proud of her for just having the wherewithal to say, you know, I, in my own way, in my own bubble, right? Yeah. So for me, Santa Cruz is my bubble. For her, Saugus High School is hers, right? It'll get bigger as she gets older. But that's what Santa Cruz has evolved for me. I was a single mom that came here 11 years ago, started a company in Starbucks, in <laughs> Copper Hill and Seiko. I am, you know, poised to franchise. So I'm a reflection of all the great possibilities here. Yeah. My daughter just received a full offer to go to Emory Riddle Aeronautical wow. University. Yes, for softball, but primarily academic. She's a 4.0 out of Saugus. So my body of work, right, in, in the business sector, as a human being, as a mother, is there. I, I, I don't have to kind of create a funny coin phrase or a hashtag I can just have you defer to the results and there there's no need for rhetoric at that point. Seeing what's going on around the country at, at school board meetings and town at city council meetings. I, I, I think my phrase might be like, you get your three minutes and sit down, shut up or get the hell out, you know? <laughs> right. But I, I do want to ask you about that, yeah. but in all seriousness, sure. my son, my youngest is a junior at Saugus and my niece is a sophomore at Saugus. I'm going to let them know. Tell me again about Morgan Wilson yeah. is the president of the Black Student Union at Saugus. Okay. Okay. And Mia Wilson is a senior softball player at Saugus, has been playing, as you know, if you follow me, it's usually a volleyball game or a softball yeah. game that you'll see, but she's a senior <laughs> headed to Emory Riddle Aeronautical University. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So that you can't miss some six, six, three. 5'11". Well, my, my niece has not hit five foot yet. So that, that would be quite a pair. She'll find her. But she's exactly. a powerhouse. I, I got to say uh, go. my, my niece is an absolute and my son too, man. Like I'm just so, I'm so thrilled and proud of both of them. Yeah. So, we're proud parents, right? They're wonderful. We've raised them right. Well, I, we muddled our way through and they, you know, God blessed us, but well, the foundation of this community helps us do that, which oh, yeah. is why I bring that up. And that my kids have been well positioned because of my sacrifice to have them live in this community and yeah. come from this community. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Muddled through, but being in a certain uh, environment, cultivate that. 
That is true. I, I, I will say that I'm, I'm lucky to have, you know, my brother and his family in this town, his wife and, and, you know, the degree that they, they've had an influence on my kids, my Absolutely. partner, who you know, Brandon Cruz, he the has village. been, a, yeah. yeah, that's right. He's been a strong influence on my kids. Yeah. And you've been a strong influence on me. So in a, in a, oh. in a way, you've been a strong influence on them. The um, village. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I want to add, I want to circle back one more time about sure. specifically the SCV city council. What are, are there certain specific changes or is there a way that you think the city council can evolve uniquely with you on the, uh, on the council? That's such a great question. And people ask me all the time, especially early. It, it is about allowing people to see someone that they can relate to at that capacity. Representation is very important. It's not just about the representation of the diversity, but representation of the many different things that I am, that I embody, right? I'm a single mom. I'm uh, a business owner. I'm a homeowner here. I'm invested in this community. And I think when people see someone that could step forward, have never been a politician, right? and can present themselves as a representative of the results here, people will become more engaged. And I think when they're engaged in a positive way, not in a Rufus type way, right? <laughs> <laughs> Old is quite a phrase today, but if they're engaged in a positive way, not a Rufus way, you get a better community. We just talked about how this community has helped us raise our kids and position them, right? And they can go into the world and we feel that they have the foundation. I feel that having someone like me on the council will represent that for a lot of reasons, not just business, not just an African-American woman, not just a parent, but somebody that is a community driven person that is, is not just spending time in, in certain sectors, but um, allowing myself, as you mentioned, the scrum premier yesterday, I'm, I'm on the wish education foundation. I'm a board member. So the education component of, of course, you know, near and dear to me with my dad and my girls, but I would still extend myself into that even once they've gone into college and because of the legacy, but it's important because I know where it will take our kids. If, if somebody is driving that in a positive, sincere way with integrity. So it's important that people allow for people to, to run in a way that uh, allows representation to happen more frequently. I know they're talking about districting that's not happened yet, yeah. um, but in other communities, districting allows a more diverse field of candidates to come forward. And it's not just kind of a, a monopoly. Um, and then of course, you know, having term limits is important so that you have fresh ideas, fresh perspectives, you know, to issues. And then that constant engagement allows people to come forward. If they feel like someone can't run because that seat's been, you know, occupied by the same, you know, circle of people for 25 years, that by itself, it, it keeps you from going towards it. Yeah. You see yourself there, you'll go towards it. Yeah. Another thing that I think does, I, I mentioned it only half jokingly a second ago that keeps people from doing it is seeing these, you know, videos and it does happen. It has been hostile in our town at, at school board meetings in particular. And there has been some rough and tumble dialogue at, at city council meetings as well. How would you respond, for example, to disruptive behavior in a city council meeting? Just like I did to Rufus mm. at the end of the day, class uh, and intelligence and 
having the emotional intelligence to recognize what's behind that and that it's not it's not going to serve anyone to to meet him in the gutter it's it's disruptive i would offer another way to communicate if let's just say rufus came to council meeting and i was there <laughs> yeah i'd say rufus we we need to do this better because you won't get anything less from me so i have an expectation of you that we 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 are equal in the way that we communicate if if there's something that's driving you that's frustrating you and trust me i've been there as a constituent right i'm a constituent first i get frustrations in our community but if we communicate them in a hostile way and they have an expectation that that we're going to get anything done it's really unrealistic. So I think having the maturity and the emotional intelligence to recognize that that would not serve in that moment. And depending on how disruptive Rufus was being, I'd have to call upon someone to assist me, but I certainly would not meet him in that same manner. And I, I would respond very similar to what I wrote to him in that way. Well, what's encouraging about your candidacy is that I've been concerned that such behavior, you know, we, we kind of say with this program, the screamers have taken over the public square and we're we're taking it back, you know, and, and mm -hmm. I'm afraid that most sane people <laughs> of goodwill and good faith mm -hmm. just don't want to get involved. They see what's going on there and they just like sure. let the screamers just have it. I, I, I got I got to make dinner. I got to put the kids uh, to bed. I'm going to tap out. Yes, I understand. You have to be thick skinned. You have to be battle tested. That's for sure. This is not for the faint of heart. I think sharing my life experiences and some of the, the ups and downs tells you that that I can weather those things and, and actually come out, you know, more evolved, more prepared for the next opportunity. So I think my body of work allows for people to see that this is the right time, not just yeah. for me, but for the community. Yeah. Now, I read that you got involved in the world premiere of Scrum with the filmmakers. It's a feature yes. documentary that premiered right here in our hometown, the, the Lemley yes. here, to benefit the NAACP of Santa Clarita. Can you tell us about that film, why you got involved in your special trip to oh, North Carolina? It meant so much to me. And I was so grateful that the executive producer, the director, gave me such exclusive access to what this story meant to them and why it was important for them first to bring it. I actually just kind of just sent the message out. But for them, prior to even knowing me and having a conversation with me on the signal for my show, it was because the story resonated very similarly to the backdrop is in North Carolina. The backdrop is very similar to Santa Clarita, upper middle class, very affluent area in some regards, and not a lot of diversity. And you have this amazing coach in the midst of that, Frank McKinney, the head coach of the Queen's University rugby team, national champions now, that with like on a shoestring budget with kids that had never played rugby before, rose through that and won the national championship during the height of George Floyd. Wow. So Frank and I relate well because we were going through an evolution at the same period of time, right? I love this about Frank. He had a father very similar to mine, who I had the honor of meeting yesterday at the premiere, and I related to him immediately. And so it resonated on so many levels, from the athletics to the diversity to the, like, out of nowhere person that no one would ever believe could get it done, got it done. And 
So I related to him and I wanted to make sure people knew that story, not for me, but for the opportunity to be inspired, to also see themselves, which if you watch the movie, you will see yourself in some facet in the many different people in the community, people that talk about Frank, that, that have gone through the program, gone through adversity, see themselves, you know, improving the lives of their children because they've sacrificed. There's just so much there that I just felt like it was important. And because they had decided to do the premiere here, I was more than happy to share uh, the platform that I have so people knew about it. And so I also had the opportunity and an invitation to go and see it with the rugby team that's featured. They will be seeing it for the first time oh, wow. in North Carolina at a film festival. And so uh, on this week, and so I will get kind of the second piece of the story. I spoke earlier to the president of Queens University as part of my part two. And of course, they're thrilled about the national attention that this movie is beginning to garner. Uh, it's, it's got the buzz in all the film festivals. I would not be surprised if it was nominated for an Oscar in the documentary film category. Just a genuine heart, the director, Thomas Morgan. I can't say enough about it. And I have gifted it to a few people that couldn't make the premiere because you can actually go on the NAACP branches website and actually watch the movie. If you didn't make it to the premiere, it's $12. And part of it is the proceeds go to a scholarship initiative here in Santa Clarita. So, so NAACP SC for Santa Clarita, NAACPSC.org. And there's a, an automatic pop-up for Scrum exactly. Red Carpet the Premiere. Movie. That is really yeah. awesome. So yeah, cool. And the movie link is there and okay. it's on my page as well. And some of the proceeds when you watch it uh, for $12 goes directly to the NAACP chapter here in Santa Clarita branch in Santa Clarita. And they have started just like Frank, an initiative to give kids scholarships. Now we, you know, just having gone through this, this school process and, and scholarship process, I understand the value of scholarships uh, for students to go to a school that they would have never seen themselves in. I mean, the prestigious school that my daughter received an offer from, I could have never sent her there on my own. And, and of course, then if she wanted to go there, there's debt that's tied to that. And you're starting life, you know, behind the eight ball, if you will, financially. This is an opportunity for people to see athletics and academics as the priority and yeah. the prestige and, and it's character shaping to watch these students go through what they go through in this film. It's, it, was, it was such a great night. I literally raced up. I was at another event all weekend raced up from Newport Beach, changed in the car because I was not going to miss it and got right to the red carpet. I'm like, I'm here. <laughs> so yes, here I am. It was great. That's yes, awesome. I wouldn't have missed it. And I'll do the same when I go to North Carolina, which I've never been to. I've traveled all over the country with the girls, but not had a chance to go to North Carolina. So I'm super excited. I'm going to come back with some Queens University swag and I'll, awesome. I'll be talking about this for a long time. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So I have one more question and one very important piece of business. I didn't sure. worry about this. I should have, I should have given you the heads up. Okay. I was going to be asking you this. Do you have any questions for me? Well, you know, I've watched your evolution. I love your platform. I love that you start off saying we can have these conversations without killing each other. Right. <laughs> we don't have to be angry Rufus all the time. We can really <laughs> just talk. <laughs> we can just 
talk and share ideas. And so what, what drove you to do that? I mean, obviously there's so many options for people to kind of dive in and develop podcasts and people have evolved from, from COVID into, into doing these mediums, but what was the driving force for you? So I have family members and, and really good friends that I really have, we have different opinions about very important things. Like I said before, I grew up very observantly Jewish. I became a Christian about 20 something years ago. So that was, that, that prompted a series of conversations with my father that started out very fraught, but we had mm. to learn how to talk to each other in more productive ways. If we wanted, if we valued the relationship over being right about a theological point, a very important point, a very central point, but a, a theological point. You know, me and my partner, Brandon, have some knockdown drag outs about politics, you know, but our relationship is more important than being right about one issue or one politician or another. And by sure. the way, as much as we just disagree about different politicians and different issues, he and I both agree that you belong on the city council. So, <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. You know, but that means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I it, so for a long time, it has occurred to me that it, it, there's not many issues, if any, that are as important as how we talk to each other as a as a community, how we talk to each other within within culture. And if we can mm -hmm. if we can value each other as human beings and see each other's humanity first, yeah. first. Right. Mm -hmm. Then 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 we can figure out tax policy, <laughs> you know, we can figure out minimum Bridging wage. a lot of gaps for sure. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. So yeah. I wanted to be able to have some of these. It. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And, and listen, I, it, this, this program's not everybody's cup of tea. You know, I, I've made no bones about it that folks who are still, you know, on the stop the steel train, you know, like, so I, I'm not going to try to diplomatically pretend that I'm on board with that. But mm -hmm. I will say that I've learned from some folks. There are some things I feel really strongly about. Like, listen, the election wasn't stolen. Yeah, there was some fraud, mm -hmm. but the election wasn't stolen. Or, you know, vaccines work. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is I've learned, and it's been an exercise for me. And like, again, it's about the humanity first. And there's a reason behind that. And one really important thing I've learned is it's not so much about the issue itself. Sometimes it's about how that individual has been treated right? Mm, Just as a person, absolutely. you know, so whether it's Rufus or whether it's, it's somebody very, very close to me, whether it's about vaccines or the election or Juneteenth, it could be about any number right. of issues. But if that person has been, has been harassed and humiliated and shamed, they're only going to dig oftentimes, most often, they're not going to react with the same kind of class and grace that you did to Rufus. They're going to dig their heels in and, and have a hateful response in turn. Mm -hmm. And the only, the only way to respond to that is in love and kindness. And Absolutely. Kindness. So, and it creates a teachable moment. Even if he doesn't agree with your point, he's learned what grace looks like. Mm -hmm. And yeah. even if him and I won't ever agree on politics, I like you just, you just said it earlier, you know, I might not be for everyone and mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. This process of me being engaged with people and, continuing to to put myself out there so that eventually when it's time to check the box again you you can make an informed decision from everything that i have put forth yeah and that's yeah. really the point and that's why i really never stopped campaigning right there's a point where you make an announcement where i think people saw that i stayed visible stayed engaged 
connected myself, you know, in, in a way now in person that we couldn't do at the time. And so it's important that if at the end of the day, we disagree, agree to disagree, we still in that sentence have an agreement. Yeah. We, we agree that we don't agree with each other. Right. That's okay. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too, is I come from a very loud, expressive family and oftentimes I couldn't get a word in edgewise. So there you go. Just my so that my own show and I can say what I want. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, my dad's been on the program and Ed, my yeah. brother's been on the program. So, well, very important. How can we find out more information about you, your campaign and six degrees HR consulting? Sure. And that's a lot, right? That's a lot of content. So what I did was I learned and people came forward as in a volunteer way to say, hey, tie all your content to Linktree and mm-hmm. anything that they want to know between six degrees, your campaign, what you're doing now in the community, what's important to you, Wish Education Foundation, the link that I'm a board member on is there. There's so many uh, things that I delved into that I didn't even realize that it was all spread out. I remember I had a gentleman say, you know, I Googled you. <laughs> I just don't know like exactly where to find. So it made sense to link it all together. So I could send you the link. It's, it's Linktree, Selena Thomas. And, and then anything you want to know and, and the latest and greatest things that I'm doing are going to be there. And so that was, that was one thing that I, I was able to learn from this process is that if you're spread out like that, you have to tie it all in one place. Okay. So that's Link, so L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E. So let's link tree folks who are slash Selena, S-E-L-I-N-A, Thomas. No no spaces in between there. But I'll put that in the show notes. I'll make sure that that, because it it is really helpful. I just kind of, that was my reading material for the last week or so. So (laughs) Yeah, and I'm glad that I learned that because, you know, you can, you know, get, you can get Google. And then you end up getting something that's dated or, you yeah. know, yeah. Not, not the latest. So I, I, I'm glad that I have that there and I'm constantly updating it because I'm constantly yeah. putting out content, not even realizing I have a lot of it out there. So, and I yeah. love your summary there, mother of three daughters, business owner and advocate, political candidate. It's great. Awesome. Send it all in one bite and yeah. all the characters that I'm allowed. So there you go. <laughs> I was only allowed 80 characters and I got it all in. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I'm going to, I'm going to tell uh, Jessica and Emily, my, my co-producers about that, because that might be really valuable for us to, to. Absolutely. Uh, just, Anyone that's putting content out there, tie it to Linktree. It'll, yeah. it'll help you out a lot. Good stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming to this. Is, it's always cool hanging out with you, but I really appreciate how forthcoming and, and candid you are and uh, great getting thank to you. learn so much more about you and we're rooting for you. So thanks again, Selena. Thank you so much. And yeah. thanks for doing your research because I didn't know anyone knew about that Rufus comment except Rufus. So thank you. <laughs> right on, right on. So appreciate it. as always, if you like the show and Rufus, I know you do, please hit that subscribe button, <laughs> leave us a review and comments wherever you get your podcasts. And most importantly, tell a friend about us. Now go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect and have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. If you appreciate what you've heard here, please go to iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and leave a review. That really helps move us up the chart so others can find out what we're up to here. For Ronnie Nathan, I'm Corey Nathan, and we've been talking politics and religion without killing each other. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam.